0: Be ready for everything and anything.
1: Every good player has the ability to slow the game down.
0: It doesn't matter what just happened. It's what you're going to do next.
1: Zone on three. One, two, three, Zone!
0: This episode is brought to you by Smushball, the official training ball of Zone Sports Academy. How many times you go to a game and there's no batting cages, no nets, and you only have a field to hit into? No problem. Smush balls are excellent because you can use them for hitting, fielding, catching, blocking, throwing, and much more. Smush balls are the perfect practice ball to use indoors or outdoors in rain or cold conditions, against fences, nets, and even in basements. We love them for all ages and skill levels. Smush balls, the pliable ball that you can count on. Welcome to the Get Zoned In podcast for coaches looking to improve their skills and knowledge both on and off the field. Whether you're a seasoned veteran Or just starting out, this podcast is for you. We'll be exploring a variety of topics that are relevant and important to baseball and softball coaches. But this advice can be used for all sports and skill levels. Join us as we dive into the world of coaching and learn from some of the best in the business. Whether you're looking to improve your team's performance or just want to make a positive impact on your players, we've got you covered. Let's go and let's play ball. Hello, everyone. Duke Baxter here with Steve Nickerack, and we are excited for another episode of the Get Zoned In podcast. Last week's episode, we talked to Kelly Copeland about glove care, not arm care, glove care. We went inside the baseball glove, literally, and talked about conditioner, glove oils, and much more. So go check out that episode on Apple Music, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Coach Steve, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Yeah, we are. Uh, we're, we're fired up for today's today's episode. A lot of submitted questions that we've gotten throughout the weeks. You know, a lot of guys are, you know, in the middle of their spring seasons. Tournaments have started up on the weekend, so a lot of the struggles that that our listeners are going through are the same things that we go through on the day to day. So we've got a, we've got a handful of submitted questions, some really really good ones, um, and you know, as always. The questions we get from from our listeners is is what drives our show it's what drives the content so uh, you know looking forward to jumping right in we're going to dive in with question number one and uh, I'm going to ask it to Duke here what's your strategy on discipline? how do you properly discipline your players when they're goofing off not focusing et cetera does it depend on the kid
0: I think that's a that's a great question I think we all we all go through that especially with the younger kids because it's harder for them to keep their focus and uh, stay locked into what we're talking about. And, you know, yesterday was a perfect example of, you know, sometimes during our warm-ups, our kids are, you know, they're talking about school. They're talking about what they're going to be doing afterwards, ice cream, this and that. And uh, the coach said, what should we do if they they drop the ball? Should we run? Should we have them do push-ups? I'm like, no, we're going to try something totally different. We're actually going to do the opposite. So what I mean by that is, so we started talking about, the importance of playing catch. We talked about some of the mistakes that we made last game um, that hurt us, and we were exp- we were pretty much talking about how catch play was going to help us overcome some of those mistakes. So we actually started playing catch, the kids were catching the ball, and then I said, all right, now what I want you guys to do to focus more on catch play is, every time the ball hits your glove, I want you to say catch. I want your eyes behind the ball, I want you to watch the ball hit your glove, and you just say catch. So they started throwing next, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 in a row, not one drop ball. The first ball that was dropped was on ball number 58. We kept on going. We hit 100, and we had three missed balls. We were up to 150. So when we got done with our, our total play catch of 200 balls, we had dropped six balls. Three of them were dropped, and three of them were actually thrown over the head of their uh, of their partner. So, I mean, when you look at those numbers and you look at 12-year-olds, and out a 200 throws, only six were dropped, it was... That, that's amazing for our team, right? And all they did was focus harder. It wasn't about challenging them with, okay, if somebody makes a mistake, we're going to do this. If somebody does this, we're going to do that. It was more talking about the importance of why we're doing things and everybody buying into that and then getting them to just concentrate and focus more on the job and the task at hand. And that was, you know, playing catch. We worked on uh, our normal catch warm-up, and then we worked on catching and tagging, worked on catch and relays, we worked on, you know, all the different areas when we that we work on during catch play, but, you know, I'm not against disciplining guys. There are guys that say, hey, we're going to do five push-ups if this happens, or we're going to run a lap, or I've definitely had my moments to where, you know, kids were more the mental mistakes or the ones that that bother me the most. Kids not knowing where to throw the ball or kids not calling a pop fly and, you know, it happens four or five times and you're like, all right, guys, go touch the right field line, go back to your positions and let's start all over again. So I'm not against any of that stuff. I just felt that us teaching the, the players at that time and seeing how that worked and being like, wow, it's just like the kids that, you know, when they're on a baseball knee in the beginning of the day and three kids are, you know, picking the grass or pinching their buddies. And you make an example of the kid doing it right. Wow, look at Johnny. His shoulders are back. He's on a baseball knee. Great job. And then all of a sudden you see all 12 kids with the same perfect baseball knee because they want, they'd rather be praised than being called out in front of everybody but we're so fast to just call out the kids that are doing it wrong and we find ourselves if you actually took a video of yourself you wouldn't you wouldn't believe how many times you're saying that kid's name throughout the entire practice instead of all the good things that are happening so I just felt like that was a good way of doing it and it's praising the success is more than just hammering down on the guys that are doing things wrong.
1: All really good stuff. I mean, a few little things that I would add. Just know your audience. Like, know what age group you're 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 coaching. Um, You know what they can handle because when you have kids that are seven, eight, nine, ten years old, they're gonna be bouncing off the walls. They're gonna have crazy energy and a little bit all over the place. You know, so you want to create a like a culture to where. We give them the ability to have fun and be loose and excited and chirp from the dugout and you know do all this stuff, you know, their their fun chants from the dugout and all that kind of stuff. But there's also a time and place for, like Duke just said, that baseball knee, eye contact. Everybody be quiet. Let's pay attention when, when coaches talk and we have to listen. I think it's it's knowing your audience. You know, for my guys, and I've had them for a long time now, we really have two two rules. And it's be on time and play the game the right way. Those are the two things that uh I will discipline guys on. If if we're not playing the game the right way, if we're showing up late, if, uh, you know, we're we're walking into practice 15 minutes late, really with no sense of urgency. Um, And I know that's a little there's a lot of gray area at the younger ages because they're getting driven there. Um, So a lot of times it's on the parents or traffic and and whatnot. But, um, you know, being on time and playing the game the right way are definitely two things that we can control. Um, We talk about it all the time attitude, effort, energy level. Those are things that we can control. You know, I'll never discipline a kid for making an error. I'll never discipline a kid for, you know, making a mistake on the field. Now, missing a sign or, you know, rolling their eyes or whipping equipment or cursing at the umpire, those are all things that have to be addressed. Um, And I think it's important to treat everybody the same exact way, right? That's your number four hitter or your number 12 hitter it doesn't mean uh well the number 4 hitter is the best player on the team so you know he's allowed to jog down the first baseline and I'll kind of you know turn turn the other way act like I'm not paying attention but I'm going to discipline the 12 hitter for doing that so I think it's it's holding everybody accountable really and just setting the tone early right if if your your rule is that you're going to bench them for an inning or maybe pull them out of the lineup well hold true to it don't don't let a few kids slide by and then you know all of a sudden 3 or 4 weeks into the season now all of a sudden you're going to try to discipline kids you have to set that Send that message early and set the tone early that this is how it's going to go. Yeah, and, and be fair. Treat everybody, you know, follow up on your word. If, if you say you're going you're to pull a kid from the lineup for breaking one of the team rules, well, we'll do it. And even though it stinks to pull some of the best players out, you got to do it at times. And, uh, you know, I've done it, and I did it, you know, on our 13U team with our, with our number four batter. You know, he started hopping out of the batter's box and bat flipped on a routine fly ball to center field because he thought he hit a homer and you know I get it it's part of the game now but he wasn't sprinting down the first baseline and that's playing the game the right way and that was just one of our team rules and I heard it from his mom after the game and he did it again a couple weeks later but by the end of the season he was sprinting down the line and, and playing hard and like I said you know multiple times I sound like a broken record but just playing the game the right way that's awesome another really good question that we had if you had to emphasize
0: just one thing what is the main point to stress out when teaching hitting at the youth level
1: yeah, I mean that's a really good question and it's it's funny that we're getting this now because I had two girls yesterday, seven and nine years old. A buddy of mine brought them in for for their first ever lesson here and uh, you know sometimes you're looking at a player for the first time and you're saying, especially at seven years old like where do we start? I think it's really important to simplify. It's important to speak in language that the player is gonna understand, right I had this seven year old yesterday it wasn't my job to start critiquing and overanalyzing and breaking down her swing. So we spent 30 minutes and just worked on her load and getting to a good, strong launch position. I think at the younger ages, you know, if we're going to focus on one thing first, it's repeating the same load and hitting from a good, strong launch position. I think that's key, right? We could break down the hands and the bat path and the posture and the direction and explosiveness. I mean, we could do all that, but if you don't get to the same launch position every single time, It doesn't matter because if sometimes you step out and sometimes you're diving and sometimes your hands are dropping, like the swing's going to change each time. So I think getting them to a good strong launch position, you know, and making sure that they're on time is step one. And then I think from there, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, but really simplifying, right? Breaking things down in a a simple and easy way so that they understand what you're saying. And I'm guilty of it when I first started coaching. uh, You know, I wanted to help so much that. I'd look back on my lessons and say, man, did, would I even have understood what I was talking about there? You know, I went in 15 different directions there instead of, you know, this 7-year-old yesterday. She left, and she had homework, and I talked to her dad about it, and it was find a straight line on the carpet or the hardwood floor at home, and I wanted to work on taking that small little step towards the pitcher and getting the knob of the bat towards the catcher, and that's it. That's all we worked on. She had a blast. Her dad already sent me a video. They're at home working on it because if we can't master that move, there's no way we can move on to all the other, you know, elements in, in the hitting swing. So um, it's, it's a tough question, and I think it's going to depend on the athlete, but um, I think getting to a good strong launch position, you know, and being on time are the two biggest things when it comes to hitting, because you could have the best swing in the world, but if you're not on time and you don't hit from that good load, none of it matters.
0: And you know what else i I like to add to that is just letting them know that it's okay to make a mistake, right? Like they're hitting their youth, they're gonna swing and miss, they're gonna start critiquing, they're gonna hear this, hear that. It's like, hey, you're gonna miss lots of balls. You're gonna miss hit a lot of balls, you know, especially at that younger level, getting them to understand that you might say good swing, that doesn't mean that the result was good. They might have smoked the ball right into the ground or popped it straight up, but their swing was good and their form was right and their their foundation was good and all those things. So it's like, hey, sometimes I might say good swing, meaning what we're working on and focusing on, good job. Yeah. Don't look about the, at the results sometimes because that's – you know, you might have miss hit the ball by a by a millimeter, and that's a difference between hitting the ball on a line or on the ground. But hey, everything else was good. Like we we got this, and getting them to realize that there's going to be a lot of mistakes in that bucket. There's 200 balls in that bucket, and you might miss hit 160 of them, and only 40 good ones. And our goal is to continue to get better, and
1: you know, understand that that's going to happen. It was funny because I said good swing a lot yesterday to this mm-hmm. kid because I was just trying to make her feel comfortable. And she's my first ever lesson to say thank you after <laughs> each one. Every time I said good slang, she went thank you. She was just like it, it was awesome. It was so much fun. But the only other other piece I would add is just ask a lot of questions, right? Try to put yourself in that player's shoes, get in their head a little bit, talk to them about what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what makes them nervous, what gets them excited, because those are real things too. And you gotta you know really get to know the player you're working with, um, you know, and understanding what makes them tick, because. You know, I, I say this often, but I'll take a kid with a very bad swing with confidence over a kid with a great swing that is nervous and afraid, and you know has all these you know fears in the batter's box um, because that happens a lot. There's a lot of kids out there that can look like a rock star in the cage, but then when when it's game time, they don't want to let mom and dad down. They're nervous, they're afraid, they're you know overcomplicating and making things you know way harder than they have to be. So uh, you know, getting into their head and understanding a little bit about them and and Really, what gets them going in games? You know, what makes them nervous? What uh, you know, what fires them up? What are they thinking about at home plate? Those are all questions that you have to ask um, before you can really dive into, you know, the mechanical side of hitting. That's awesome. Really good one here. Um, biggest challenge you've had coaching your own son? Asking for a dad who's coached, or asking for dads who coach their sons or daughters. That's a good
0: one. I think that all three of my, my sons, my daughter played softball as well, but not, not for too long. And then she went into gymnastics. But all three of my boys were a little bit different. And I think that overcoaching, it's so easy to overcoach your own kid, meaning you're not only coaching them at home during practice, and then you get into practice and you're coaching them. Then you're in a game and you're coaching them. Then you get in the car and you want to continue to coach them. And it's like, they can't get away from you. All they want. All they're hearing is dad and coaching and all of a sudden it's like this is too much. So separating, you know, coach and dad. If your son asks you to to practice, then you, you go in the batting cage and you go practice. When you're on the field, you know, working with them just like you'd work with everybody else, but not over coaching. Um, I think that's that's something that a lot of people are are afraid of as well as You know, giving them preferential treatment. Oh, well, this kid's, you know, my son's always playing shortstop and he's hitting four. Well, that's something that all parents, I think, that when they coach their own kids, they worry about that. Well, is my kid good enough to even be a starter? Well, he's hitting fourth, but should he be hitting second or should he be batting ninth? And, you know, am I giving my son extra kudos because he's my son or his friend or, you know, we hear daddy ball all the time and it's like, oh, well, you know who's playing shortstop and you know where his best friend's playing and you know what part of the lineup so-and-so is playing and, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that when you coach your own kid, you think of those things. What are other people thinking? What are other parents saying? What are, you know, am I overcoaching? Am I, am I, am I treating him too hard? Am I, am I too rough on my own kid? Am I, and I think a lot of coaches sometimes do the opposite. You know, instead they bat their kid ninth. Maybe he should really be batting third, but they put him ninth because they don't want to deal with any of the other stuff. Or the first kid to sit is their own kid because, oh, we have 10 players today, so someone's got to sit, so I'll just sit my own kid and it's like you know it's it's trying to find the balance of what you really feel is right compared to what does everyone else think it's right so i think you know when you are parenting your own kid you are you are you are a little you're a little harder on him you make sure that hey he's really got to prove himself to to play shorts up he's got to be that much better or you know playing time wise and that kind of stuff so i think that as a parent those are some things that that are challenging and i think you have to just look at yourself in the mirror and be like okay how is my son doing? Ask the other coaches. You guys make the lineup today. You know, instead of yourself making the lineup, let them make the lineup. Where do you think he should play or where do you think he should hit in the lineup? And let them do it. And that way it's like, hey, I don't even make the lineup. I think that's a cool way of kind of handling that situation. If you're, if you are feeling a little, ah, what should I do about this? Let the other coaches do it and see what, you know, what they're doing. So, that that's what i think is you know one of the one of the biggest
1: challenges of of coaching your own kid i'll give you a little different perspective as somebody who was coached i was coached by my dad at a real young age and then my uncle i definitely didn't want to be treated any different i didn't want to be you know spoiled or you know given certain advantages and i've had teammates that their dads were the coach and they'd get 25 pitches in bp and we'd get 8 and you know there were definitely favorites being played but uh, you know, one rule, and I've talked about this on, on a recent episode, but uh, we always had a rule in our house that Uncle Gary would never say no if we asked to go get work in, but he would never ask us. So, you know, he was always supportive, always wanted to help, um, but, you know, it was on us. The ownership was on us to make sure we got in our work and our, and our practice at home, and he was always there to support. And I think uh, there's a lot to be said about that because from our end, we always wanted to practice. That was just kind of our childhood growing up, and we had that you know, support system to lean on. But I've also seen the polar opposite where, you know, you've got that helicopter dad that he's in the dugout or, you know, or maybe he is the coach and he's just overbearing and, you know, it becomes a lot. And I've seen it stress out some of my teammates growing up. So there's a fine line there between, uh, you know, overdoing it, you know, coddling your your own son or daughter so I can see why it would be stressful but from at least from a player's perspective I I never wanted to be treated different and I love how Duke is with his kids where you know he's coach at the field and then the second they get in the car and they're going home then he's dad again but uh you know I think it's it's tough to differentiate the two and kudos to Duke for being able to do a good job at that
0: and you know what else I think I think that a, a lot of the times like the kids like you said you don't want to be treated different because everyone else knows. If I'm if 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 you have me at shortstop and I don't I don't I do not deserve to be the shortstop, but my dad's putting me at shortstop and he's batting me third, and I know I'm not the best hitter on the team, and I should be batting ninth. It's almost worse. Yeah. It's worse. Cre- it's worse creating that situation or that bubble that you know is fake. All the kids know is fake, except for your dad's the only one that's like, yeah, but you know. And, and I think that's you know, then the kids are all talking about it and like, yeah, you know, so-and-so is doing this just because of that. And you're just like, so you think you're doing something good, but you're so not treat your kid exactly the same, you know, and you know, they'll, they'll love you way more for that than trying to give them preferential treatment of something that's fake. And then all of a sudden when they go to another team and they're not batting third and they're not batting and they're not playing shortstop, it's like, well, how come I'm not, it's like, Uh, okay.
1: (laughs) There there was nothing better than after a game, too, like getting in the car stress-free knowing that I wasn't going to get yelled at. And Duke has has shot an awesome video on the car ride home. Um, But being able to get in the car and talk about whatever is really nice. You know, not being worn out by mom or dad or whoever the coach is and, you know, breaking down every at-bat and every mistake you made during the game. You know, there's something to be said about playing fearless and not afraid to oh, great, this car ride home is going to be miserable. Um, There's a lot of kids that go through that. So I think, you know, I was lucky to have been able to hop right in the car and hear great game no matter how I played, you know, even though back in my head I know, you know, grandma or grandpa are saying great game and there was nothing great about it. But it's better to hear that and, and say to them, ah, it wasn't really a great game than than the flip side on getting blown up for a 45-minute car ride home.
0: <laughs> no kidding. So, Coach Steve, what are two things that you look for? What are, what are top things that you look for when it comes to an infielder's
1: qualities that makes them a solid defender? Really good question. I think a couple things. One, how they're warming up. I think watching, you can usually tell who's a good athlete just by the way they play catch right are they controlling the ball Um, are they securing it when they catch it are they working on you know their quick hands and and you know the handball exchange we just shot a a video about 20 minutes ago on um, the best ways to improve your, your throwing program and different drills that you can add into your throwing program. Um, so when I look down the line and I see a kid working on his quick hands and working on his transfers and working on cuts and relays and tags and his pick progressions, like those are all things that I can tell right away without even seeing them field a ground ball that this kid, you know, has a pretty good understanding of, of playing the infield. You know, now when I'm getting into watching kids on the field, I think seeing somebody that's prep-stepping every pitch, And their prep step is on time and they're locked in on the batter and they're looking in to see, you know, what sign is being put down. You know, what's the count? What's the situation? And and they're moving and they're prep stepping and they're on time and, you know, they have good feet and good rhythm. Um, That's all super important. Um, Now, again, before they even feel the ball, are they taking good angles? Are they taking good first steps or, you know, are they attacking the ball? You know, do they create momentum? right do they create that angle and and have that left foot timing to you know almost glide through the ground ball instead of charge it stop field it and then restart again you know and then i think above all of that is do they communicate with their teammates and this is something that i learned at a later age but uh you know being a shortstop slash third baseman every single pitch my third baseman and i we were talking and it was it was the count it was what pitch is being put down it was uh you know This guy's pulled the ball three times in a row, so I'm going to shade two steps towards you. You know, those are all things that go into making a good uh, good infielder. And I know I I just mentioned a lot of them, but you know, it starts with when they warm up, and it's their feet, and it's their hands, and it's the momentum they can create when they field a ground ball, and their ability to flush an error. You know, it's it's all tied into it. But uh, you know, I think that last part about you know being a good communicator out on the field and every single pitch. Duke's playing third, and I'm playing short. We have something to talk about. Right, it could be it could be positioning, it could be the count, it could be the situation. Hey, you know, you and me on a double play to my second baseman, but good infielders are constantly talking, they're constantly moving, you know, they're having fun out there, and it's it's not robotic. Yeah. So those are at least some things that I And I, thought I think
0: about. they're dirty. They're dirty. Right? They get dirty. Like when you when you're playing the game, good infielders like you're dirty. You're throwing your body around, you're trying to make plays, you're you're laying out for balls, you're you know, whether you're on on offense or you're on defense, you're just you're doing all the little things, and yeah, you might be diving for a ball, and you miss both of them. But the one that you do catch, it's like you're throwing yourself around the field, trying to do everything that you can to make any play that you think you can make, what you might make, what you should make. You're backing up bases, like you're just dirty and gritty. And I think that you know that's one of the things that that our team, you know, last weekend wasn't. A couple of balls landed in front of the outfielders. There were a couple of plays that just barely got by in front. You're like, no. No ball should, go, should squeak through the infield without a diving first baseman, the second baseman diving across, and now the ball goes through. And you're like, okay, that's a hit. Not two guys looking at each other, the ball kind of squeaking itself through the infield, and it's like, there's no dirty bodies. Like, but those are things that you do need to teach. Yes, you need to have the, the heart to do it, but some coaches just think like it's just going to happen. You have to work on diving. And then all of a sudden, the kid makes a diving and catch, and he's like, holy cow, I didn't think I was going to catch that ball. See? That, that's the feeling that you, like, that's the, one of the coolest feelings is when you lay out for something, you think you're going to come up empty next to you, know, that you feel that ball hit your glove, and you're like, oh, man, I better, I better hurry up, and now what's next? You're getting it, and you're throwing it, and you're like, dude, that is, man, like, that's, that's the biggest, I, I just love that part of fielding, that just catching the ball that you didn't think you can catch, and you make it out, and you're like,
1: let's go. One uh, really cool story I got from my from my college coach, and I'll never forget this. He said he used to go watch – Cal Ripken Jr. play, and and he would sit in left field and watch him play shortstop, and he said, if you know, if you saw Cal Ripken Jr. at a showcase, and he had to run the 60, and he had to do the 5 5 shuttle run, none of it would impress you, because he wasn't the fastest guy, you know, his side-to-side quickness wasn't the best, you know, he had really good arm strength, he had a great glove, but this guy was a major league shortstop, and you know, you have to be quick, and you have to be fast, so when he would sit behind left field... He would watch his prep step, and he would watch his timing, and he would watch the way he moved without the ball, and that's what made him great. So every single pitch he was prep stepping, and it could be a swing and a miss, and he's taking a drop step to his right because he was anticipating the ball being hit that way. You know, a lot of times you see infielders, and you know, they get to their ready position, right, left, they go down, the ball's hit, or the ball's swung and missed, or maybe it's fouled off and their feet don't move. Well, that's probably not a great infielder, and he said that's what made him better than everybody else is when the ball wasn't hit to him, or maybe it was fouled off to the right side. Like he was taking that quick jab step to the left. He was constantly moving, and um, really his baseball IQ and his ability to know the count and the hitter and you know tendencies is, is what made him, you know, one of, one of the best of all time. But I just wanted to add that and add that in there. Next question we've got, and I'll ask it to Duke. With only two coaches, it's hard to keep all of our players engaged for two hours of practice. Any ideas on how to make on-field hitting
0: more fun and productive? I think that coaches, the plan and the preparation prior to the practice, if you know you're going to have two coaches and you know you have 12 kids and you're like, okay, this can either be one on six or it could be two on 12, well, what's the better ratio? One in six, one in six. Also, what drills can you do that the players themselves can run? Like, say you're going to do a bunting drill, and you have seven smush balls or softy balls. One kid's throwing to another kid, another kid's fielding, it, and they're bunting. Well, you don't even need a coach in that station. If you have a tee station set up, one kid's putting the ball on the tee, the other kid's whacking the ball into the net, and then they're, they're rotating. That station can handle by itself. Then you have one coach doing front toss, one coach doing overhand wiffle ball pitch, and now you have all 12 kids only, you have four, ki- four stations with only three kids in them, and you're rotating around fast. They're rotating around, eight-minute stations, and now they're getting tons of swings in. It's not just me throwing batting practice, ten hits each, balls flying all over the place. You know, if you were to do that, play the balls live off the bat. Have the fielders field the ball live, make throws live, and, and turn batting practice into almost like a simulated scrimmage. Put fake runners on bases. All right, guys, runner on second right now for the next five swings. And now the infielders are getting work in. The hitter's getting work in. You have a catcher back there that's catching balls, framing balls, doing all those sort of things. So I think that creating the stations is what makes practice so much more fun. You know, the other day we were, uh, I said, you know, we're going to do something different in practice. I said, we're going to have the kids run all the stations by themselves. What I did was I went to third base, because we weren't doing good a good job of tagging up. So I brought a tennis racket out, a bucket of smush balls, had one runner on third. The one kid hit the fly ball with the tennis racket. The guy had to catch the ball, and as soon as he caught it, the guy tagged up and sprinted home. And they just ran that station all by themselves. We weren't doing a good job of tagging at second base on some of the steals. Some of the, the short hops were eating up our guys. So we had another station there. Four balls, a guy on a knee. That player would say go, the shortstop would run the second, he would throw the ball, he'd catch and tag, and then the shortstop and second base would just keep switching. And Then they would rotate around. We also didn't do a good job with secondary leads and some of our pickoffs. So the other station was three guys at first, one guy at first base, one guy as the runner at first base, and then a pitcher and the pitchers were working on their their pick-offs. The guy that was the runner was working on his secondary leads and his steel breaks, and the guy in first was actually working on catching and tagging, and they ran the station all by themselves. So we just blew the whistle at eight minutes and the kids ran the entire practice on their own. Yes, I explained what they were doing and what I wanted them to accomplish and how to do it, but the kids actually ran the stations. We as coaches have to be willing and able to say, you know what? They're not going to run it exactly the way I'm going to. They're going to goof off a little bit, you know, but the production was awesome. The kids thought it was the best practice ever because they were so involved in what they were doing and in control of what they were doing. So I said at the end of practice, what other stations do you guys want to run next week? One guy was like, oh, we, we should do a diving station. One kid's like, yeah, we should work on our angles going backwards because that outfielder doesn't take good angles so he was talking about angles you know one of the catches like oh can we do a blocking drill so it's like now they were kind of in charge of their own practice plans knowing what they need to work on and it just made it much more fun so I think that uh you know getting the kids more involved in what happens at practice I think will get them engaged as well with what's going on
1: I was going to say a lot of the stuff that Duke just said you know with, with the props and having the kids run their own stations other things that I might add you know similar to what duke said about breaking the kids into three groups of four you can break them up into three groups of four and play mini games right you have you know you know four infielders you have three outfielders with you know maybe uh a guy rotating in from the outfield and then you have four hitters and you know you're playing a regular game each each team is 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 their own little group of four and you're up until you get three outs, and, and you keep rotating that way. This, this way they are playing balls live. This way the defense is moving. They're trying to make outs. Um, kids are still base running now at this point. Um, you know, that's a fun way to, to improve on-field batting practice. You can give points, you know, hit a ball hard the other way, you know, versus up the middle, you know, every pop-up's minus one. You can get creative with it. Um, you know, we do it in the cage, and we play target practice all the time. But, you know, finding fun ways to get the kids to lock in and focus I think will only improve every part of on-field batting practice. But like Duke said, you don't want one guy standing in there hitting. You get, you know, 10 pitches and balls are flying and they just kind of roll them into the infield. Now there's balls all over the place. So, you know, try to get every single kid on the field doing something and have a purpose behind it. It could be working on prep steps. It could be working on first steps. um, But give them a purpose while they're out there and they're not just shagging fly balls.
0: That's awesome. Like Coach Steve mentioned, Make sure you go on our Instagram, you go on our Facebook, our TikTok, go on our Facebook pages. If you see some videos that you don't understand or there's videos that you'd like for us to shoot, make sure you leave comments because that's what drives the show. Those are the questions that we're going to use in the podcasts, in our videos, showing videos. So whether you're a first-time coach or a veteran coach, keep the questions coming. We got you covered. So thanks so much, Coach Dude, Coach Steve with Dominate the Diamond and the Get Zoned In podcast. We'll see you next time, and thanks for listening.